Have you seen the coffee cups, maybe the t-shirts that say uh, the world's greatest father or father of the year? I'm not going to ask if anybody actually owns one of those in this building, okay? Um, But I don't know if you've seen them. I've seen plenty of them. But if there were such an award, what would be the qualifications? You think about that? What's, what's the qualifications? I mean, why did your kid buy you that shirt or that coffee mug? Because it was last minute that it was all of us sitting out, and for four ninety nine, that was the best deal you could find, right? But really, what were the qualifications? What, I mean, who would actually win? If there was a Father of the Year award, who would actually win? I'm guessing right now every kid in this room is saying, my dad, right? Some of the older ones are saying, well, I don't know, maybe my dad, right? Because they know more now, right? But let's toss out the idea of there being an award. And let's just ponder the idea. Let's ask the question, who is a good father? Who is a good father? Now, some of you right away, your minds are fast-forwarding to the worship song out there, Good, Good Father, right? But really, who is a good father? Are there qualifications for this? If there were an actual contest or a game to win, would you be vying for it? Would you be fighting for it? I want to be the father of the year, right? Being a great father is a learning process, isn't it? It's a journey. You dads know what I'm talking about. It's more than just having the ability to produce a child. There's more to it than that that proclaims you to be a father. Much more to that. A father protects. A father provides. Father loves, a father listens, a father guides, and a father gives. There's all kinds of characteristics and qualities of a father. A father cares for and sacrifices, he demands and he decides. That's a father. And we're learning about the role of the father in a home that when you do not have that father in a home, it is detrimental to the structure of the home and the development of children. And I'm not sure why this surprises us. I mean, after all, God started from the very beginning in the book of Genesis with a husband and a wife and a father and a mother, and this was a family unit. So from day one, we get it. God arranged it this way. And when we don't have that father there, it's sort of fractured, as we would say. So adults, I want you to think about this. As we grew up, who led us? Who protected us? Who uh, taught us the things that we needed to be taught and said, this is the way you should try this? Was it a father? Was it a coach? Was it maybe a teacher? Who was it that did all those things that fulfilled that role as a father, as a father should be? And it shouldn't it be our father's who lead us and direct us and teach us and guide us? Shouldn't it be our fathers? Yeah, with no father, where do we turn? Now, I want to share some statistics with you. Um, and again, these are just statistics, but and there are exceptions to be made. But what we know, in my opinion, is very alarming. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 
80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are, I'm sorry, who are not involved are 40% less like, let me say it again. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Researchers at Columbia University found that children living in a two-parent household with a poor relationship with their father are 68% more likely to smoke, drink, use drugs compared to teens in a two-parent household where the father is involved. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions are coming from fatherless homes, nine times the average. 85% of all youth in prisons come from fatherless homes. Compared to living with both parents, living in a single-parent home doubles the risk that a child will suffer physical, emotional, and educational neglect. Daughters of single parents without a father involved are 53% more likely to marry as teenagers, 711% more likely to have children as teenagers, 164% more likely to have a premarital birth, and 92% more likely to get divorced themselves. 43% of U.S. children right now are living without their father. 90% of the homeless and runaway children, as I said earlier, are from fatherless homes. When you read through these stats over and over, and I actually have pages of them, it's scary. You see, the presence of a father in home is obviously God's intention. When you take the father out of the home, we are messing with what God has intended with. When we look at programs and situations today and we say there should be a policy, there should be a program, there should be something here to make this better, the problem is we live in a very fractured world, a very godless world. And when we remove God from everything and anything, we're going to deal with a mess. And I don't mean to come up here and sound the alarm and, and say, oh, woe is us. And I realize that everybody comes from different backgrounds. I understand that we don't have perfect homes. Some of you don't have a father in here. Some of you have lost your father. And it hurts. Whether we realize it or not, though, our children will follow in the footsteps of a man. So that man has to be a godly man. That man has to be present. And knowing that our life was impacted by our fathers and the choices they've made, what kind of father are we? And I say this to the men in the room, if you are a father. Who is shaping and leading your life, knowing that your direction of life is directly going to impact those who are walking behind you, those who are following you, those who are in your house? And like I said, maybe your father wasn't there for you, but you had a father-like image in your life. And maybe you don't have a father now, but you have hopefully a mentor or somebody you look up to and say, I want to be like that man. And I hope that man is a godly man. I want to show you something in the Bible, why the importance of why we talk about this this morning, okay? Turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. In studying, uh, again, throughout Old Testament, and obviously we love the New Testament, when you go back to the Old Testament, you read some stories, and you sit there and think, how did they get in there? Why are they there? Genesis chapter 12, verse 10, 
in this section, we are the beginning of an incredible journey of God's chosen people. And God says, I'm going to pick one man. He's going to be the father of a nation. We all have heard it like Father Abraham, right? We've sang songs about it. Father Abraham had many sons. We right arm, left arm, and we turn around and said, you know, that's a fun song, right? But here's the story in Genesis chapter 12 of Abraham, and it begins with his, before it was Abraham, it was Abram. But at this point, Abram and Sarah went to Egypt due to a famine. Now let's read chapter 12, starting in verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he's approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you're a beautiful woman, a very beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. Let's kill him and we can have her. So please tell them that you're my sister and they'll spare my life and they'll treat me well because of their interest in you. Sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarah was taken into the palace. Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her. Sheep, goats, cattle, male, female, and male donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? He demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister and allow me to take her as their wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her, get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country, along with his wife and all their possessions. Now, when you're reading this, in amazement, you're sitting there saying, Abram, right, the father of a nation for God? And he's lying about his wife. Tell everybody you're just my sister, okay? Why would he do that? Why would he lie? And you start to read through and think through the story. It's like, you know what, why do we lie? Why do we sometimes become lacking integrity in certain areas? Is it because we don't trust God? I believe in this situation, that's what it was. I'm going to trust God that we're going to be okay. He'll watch over myself, my wife, my family, my belongings. But in this situation, he didn't trust God. So he took matters into his own hands and he lied about the situation. But this resulted in a few things. First, there was plagues upon Pharaoh and his household. And then they were kicked out of the country. Hopefully they learned their lesson, right? This would be a good time for a sound effect. Uh, Wrong, okay? Turn to Genesis chapter 20 with me. Fast forward a few chapters. Genesis chapter 20. As we look at Genesis chapter 20, starting in verse 2, it says this. Abraham, uh, let me back up to verse 1. Abraham moved south to the Negev and lived for a while between Kadesh and Shur. And then he moved to Gerar. While living there as a foreigner, Abram introduced his wife, Sarah, by saying, she's my sister. Wait a minute. Didn't he do this earlier? Yes, he did. So King Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and had her brought into the palace. But that night, God came to Abimelech in a dream and said, you're a dead man. For that woman you've taken is already married. What a dream, right? But Abimelech had not slept with her yet, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Didn't Didn't Abram tell me she's my sister? And she herself said, yes, this is my brother. I acted in complete innocence. My hands are clean. In the dream, God responded, yes, I know you're innocent. 
That's why I kept you from sinning against me and why I did not let you touch her. Now return the woman to her husband. He'll pray for you, for he's a prophet. Then you'll live. But if you don't return her to him, you can be sure that you and all your people will die. Abimelech got up early the next morning, quickly called his servants together. When he told them what happened, his men were terrified. Then Abimelech called for Abraham. What have you done to us? He demanded. What crime have I committed that deserves treatment like this, making me and my kingdom guilty of a great sin? No one should ever do what you've done. Whatever possessed you to do such a thing? Can you imagine? You are being reamed out by a non-believer. As a Christian, your actions are representing that of not a Christian. And you've got a non-Christian pointing this finger at your face saying, what are you doing? I even know that Christians shouldn't do this, and you're doing it? Red face, right? Embarrassment. I mean, you just want to sort of drop your head and tuck your tail and just walk out saying, I just got yelled at by a non-believer for not living like a Christian. Abraham replied, I I thought this is a godless place. I want my wife. They'll kill me to get her. He's like coming up with excuses, right? Isn't he supposed to be a man of great faith? I mean, didn't he learn the first time? Church, I believe we would all agree that there are certain temptations that are difficult to resist. We all have our vulnerable spots, right? This must have been one of Abraham's vulnerable spots. I mean, we take heart to what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about putting on the armor of God. We know that there is a battle daily that we have with Satan. We know we're facing temptations every day. And Paul says, you cannot be victorious without the armor of God. You must put on that armor of God. Now, knowing that we're called to put on the armor of God, shouldn't that wake us to that reality that we're in a a daily battle? It should. And in this story, we see that the sin of Abraham almost led to another person sinning. Think about that. He's protecting himself once again, not trusting God once again. So he does something that is wrong. He sins in the same way that we sin. But do we realize, like, like just in this story, that our sins may cause another person to sin? Have we ever thought about that? It's like taking a stone and finding a big puddle or a, a pond, and you take that stone and you just sort of chuck it in there, and it hits and it creates a ripple, right? Our sin, when it hits, it creates a ripple, not just in our life, but in those around us. When we sin, we have the opportunity, in a bad way, to create a ripple sin in somebody else's life. That should alert us. See, our impact upon others can be good and bad. Just in the same way that my sin can cause you to sin, my worshiping of God can cause you to worship God. It can go both ways. So we know here that there's a punishment for sin. And regardless of whatever our intentions are, well, I was just trying to protect my family. I was just trying to protect myself. But your sin has punishment. And you may end up suffering. I don't know if we got any good mushroom hunters in here. Any good mushroom hunters? I'm not good at hunting mushrooms. Some people are. Uh, I talked to the gentleman a few months ago, and he was, he was driving down. I don't know how he did this. He's driving down the road, 
And the road he's driving on has a speed limit of at least 55. And he said he's driving down the road and he spotted some mushrooms in the guy's yard. That's an eye for mushrooms, okay? I mean, if I, I don't spot anything in people's yards unless it's a big sign and it's blinking, okay? And he spotted mushrooms. He's a good mushroom hunter, okay? But we had these woods where we grew up. So back behind a few of our, our, our fields, we'd hike through the fields and we'd cross rail tracks into the woods that my grandpa owned. And we had mushrooms back there. Now, one of my brothers is good for looking for mushrooms. I'm not. A couple of other brothers are so-so. My, uh, my uncle and some of my cousins, they're really good, but there's others in our family. We're just not. Now, if you ask me, go out in my grandpa's woods and go mushroom hunting, here's what I'm going to bring back. I'm going to bring back anything that looks sort of like a mushroom. Here's the problem. I don't know which ones are edible, and I don't know which ones are poisonous, and I probably toss in a few toadstools too, okay? Because I'm not quite sure on what an edible mushroom is, looks like compared to that, that which might be poisonous. Some of you are probably going to give me a class afterwards, and that's fine, Okay. But here's the deal. How do I know what a or an edible mushroom looks like? How do I know? I, I'm going to have to study it. I'm going to have to learn to recognize it. I'm going to have to compare the two. Yep, that's, that's an edible. That's a poisonous one. So I can know the difference. The more I study that which is edible, I'm going to recognize it a lot sooner. And I sort of thought about it like this. I can seek after the right thing if I know what the right thing is, Right? If you seek the wrong thing, like the poisonous mushroom, the outcome's not so good. That's why I believe when I think about this, you go to what Jesus said about seeking first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you want to seek the kingdom of God? Then you can live in a way that honors God. A lot of us are seeking all kinds of things, aren't we? Whether we're seeking wins or, or power or money or whatever objects it may be. Sometimes we seek the wrong things. We have to determine what's really healthy for me. What does God want in my life? Am I seeking that? Am I seeking that first? What is poisonous to my soul? Am I seeking that? Then I have to stop. Winds, power, money, they all look good, but are they really good for us? And Jesus gave us a model what to seek after. He said, seek a life that is righteous, one that pleases him. And not only do we discover that that is a much better result for living, but we also impact those who are following us too. You hear what I'm saying? Turn to Genesis chapter 26, okay? Let's continue in this story. Genesis chapter 26, starting in verse 1. A severe famine now struck the land. We a lot of famines going on, right? As happened before in Abraham's time. So Isaac, by the way, Isaac is Abraham's son. Okay? He moves to Gerar where Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, lived. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner's land. I will be with you. I will bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants. Just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father, I'll cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky. I'll give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Verse 5. I'll do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, 
He said, she's my sister. Now, wait a second. Like father, like son, right? Hmm. He was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought they'll kill me to get her because she's so beautiful. But sometime later, this is why PG-13 is not so much that of the Bible. But sometime later, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out the window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She's obviously your wife. I saw the way you were touching her. Why did you say she's my sister? Because I was afraid you'd kill me to get her from me, Isaac replied. Listen to this. Here's another non-believer calling out a Christian. How could you do this to us, Abimelech, Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of a great sin. Then Abimelech issued a public proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. I'm reading this, and I'm going, where did Isaac learn this? Who was he following after? When we parent, we shape the future of our children. Sometimes it's by what we verbally teach our children, but a lot of times it's by what we do. Isaac did exactly what he saw his father do. My dad can lie about this. I can lie about this, right? I was sitting at a baseball game at Taylor this past year, and as I'm sitting there watching the baseball game, there's a college student sitting in front of me. And the umpire made a questionable call, right? And he's sitting there, and he looks at his friend. He goes, man, I wish I could be a father so that I could yell at that umpire. <laughs> i just sitting there chuckling. I'm thinking, his dad must yell at the umpires. He can't wait to be a dad so he can yell at umpires. Is that the job of a father to yell at umpires? And I had to laugh at that. Where do we learn our things from? From dad. Right? Abraham lied. Isaac lied. Now go with me to Genesis chapter 27. We now have Isaac's son, Jacob. Let's see if Jacob can do this better. Okay? Now as we read this, let's start in verse 18. We're cutting into the middle of a story, by the way. Jacob... um, and Esau, twin brothers. Esau had gone out. He's the oldest uh, by a few seconds. He's supposed to get this birthright, right? So anyway, he takes off to go hunting. Um, Rebecca, the mom, finds out that dad's going to place a blessing on his son, and she wants Jacob to get it. So she's got this little scheme here. Jacob goes in to see his father. His father's eyesight is not that good. He's Getting up there in age. Jacob takes the food into his father. This is verse 18. It says, my father. Yes, my son, Isaac answered. Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replies, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path, Jacob replied. Okay, first of all, we've got two lies going on, right? Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you and make sure you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's. Oh, by the way, read back further. They took some goat skin, mom did, and put it upon his Jacob's arms and hands because Esau was a little bit hairier of a man. 
So when Father who can't see touches the hands and arms, it's like, oh, yeah, here he, Esau, okay, right? He didn't recognize Jacob, but he recognized Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. But you really are my Esau, he asked, my son Esau. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Three times he lies to his dad within just a matter of minutes. What am I showing you? Why am I showing you these accounts in Genesis, starting with Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son Jacob? What I'm trying to show you here is that what we do as men, as fathers, we pass on to our children and we then pass that on to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It's a ripple effect. It's a pattern. What you value, your character, will be passed on regardless of whether it's good or bad. Whether it's worshiping God, you're going to pass that on to your kids. Or whether it's lying, you're going to pass that on to your kids. Here's the deal. My dad's gone. Okay? But what he taught me, what my father taught me, lives on, I pray and I believe. The character and the qualities of my father, I love and I will pass those on. But here's the deal. I don't do everything my dad did. I might do some things that are better, but I also do some things that are worse. And I may pass that on to my boys. And that should alarm me. And because my father wasn't perfect and none of our fathers out here are perfect and none of your fathers were perfect, we need a perfect father to look at. So when we follow that perfect father, our children will see a perfect father. Not in us but in God the Father. So we need to look for God for direction. We need to seek God's kingdom. We must be walking in a manner and direction that honors our Heavenly Father because we know that our Heavenly Father loves us and He disciplines us and He gives to us, right? And I learned that from a Heavenly Father. And we also know when we take our eyes off our Father, we lose our way. So the challenge is, for us to keep our eyes on our Heavenly Father. This is not just to the men. This is to everybody in this room. As a parent, as a future parent, as a person who someday you probably will be a parent, okay? Learn this lesson now because it starts now. Oh, no, when I have kids or when they get to high school, when they, no, no, it starts now. It starts now. We make sure the reason our children are walking in the right way is because we're walking in the right way. Because we're following the Heavenly Father, they can follow the Heavenly Father. Now listen, parents, and you know this already, some of your children may wander off the path. They may walk a direction that you don't want them to walk, right? And you may chase after them and call them back. But listen, make sure that the reason they're off the path is not because of you. Make sure it's not your fault because you were off the path. So I get fathers, you're under a lot of pressure. You go through a lot to provide for families. You, you try to lead your wives. You try to be a father. You try to work. You try to just be a man. And that's tough. So men, we encourage you to keep fighting the good fight. Never give up pursuing the heart of God. So I want to give you a couple of verses here to challenge all of us, but men in particular. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says this, The righteous man walks in his integrity, and his children are blessed after him. You know, the dictionary definition of integrity says the quality of being 
complete or undivided. And scripture teaches that the double-minded man is unstable in all that he does. But Jesus even said you can't follow God and man or money. You, you just can't have multiple masters. True leadership is having the integrity to practice what you preach and to do what you say you will do. Gentlemen, Proverbs 27, integrity. Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11 says, Parents, parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? No. If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? No. So if sinful people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give gifts to those whom he loves? We have a heavenly Father who loves us and gives to us. And I love this parallel between fathers here on earth and father in heaven, but it's, it's difficult for a child to begin to understand the heart of a heavenly father without seeing that expressed in his earthly father. You want your children to know how good and loving God is? It begins with you, Dad. It begins with you. Andrew Murray said this, Every experience of love and blessing of a home on earth can be a ladder by which you rise up and get near to the great father heart in heaven. When's the last time you went to your Heavenly Father and asked Him for help? This goes for all of us. When's the last time you went to your Heavenly Father and asked Him for help? God, can you help me with this? Some of you dads in here, and even moms, you know, the kids come up to you, hey, can you help me? Can you show me? When's the last time you went to your Heavenly Father with those kinds of words? God, can you show me? Can you help me? Matthew chapter 6. Let me turn there. Matthew chapter 6. New Testament. First book in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is having a conversation, doing some great teaching. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, his disciples have been talking about how do we pray. And he says, when you pray, don't babble on as the people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating words again and again. There's some kind of mantra. There's some kind of saying that goes over and over. He said, don't be like them. For our Father knows exactly what you need before you ask Him. See, I don't need to go to God to ask, right? Because He already knows, right? This would be another great sound effect. Okay. We still need to go to God and ask. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Now listen, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. When you're reading through these verses, Jesus is saying, let me, let me teach you how to pray. Ask your heavenly Father. You want to know how to walk a righteous way? You want to know how to be a person of integrity? You want to know how to guard your your lips or to take care of using your hands in the right way that serves people instead of hurts people? Ask your Heavenly Father. Matthew chapter 6, same chapter, verse 26. Jesus says this. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in their barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than him, to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why are you worrying about your clothing? 
Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today, thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? What am I going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Church, listen to me. God already knows your needs. You walked in here this morning saying, God, you know what I really need? He goes, I already know. I'm just waiting for you to ask me to help you. And maybe you have been asking me. Just keep asking. Keep talking to me. He says this in verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Did you hear that? Above all else. And live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring enough of its own worries. Today's trouble is enough. Amen to that, right? Church, are we going to our Heavenly Father and asking him, this Father's Day, ask God. Ask God for help. Ask God for his love. Ask God for forgiveness. Ask God to lead you knowing that your children are watching you and following you. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the list goes on. One dad did something, and his son did the same thing, and his grandson did and so forth and so on down the generation. It begins with us. You say, well, my dad wasn't around. Then it begins with you right now. How can I be a godly father, a godly parent, a godly person in my life as I have children who are watching me? Ask him. I ran across the commercial. There's no spiritual content to this commercial at all. Okay, we're going we're to watch a commercial. Okay, it's like, great, I can do that at home on my TV. Exactly. But when I saw this commercial, it hit me. <laughs> Boy, did it hit me. At the end, it can almost be a little tearjerker of a commercial. Maybe that's why I haven't seen it on, uh, on TV that much. We seek answers from all kinds of sources around us. We pull out our phones and we Google things up and we say, I wonder how to do this. I don't know, I'll just, I'll find find it out somehow, right? Why not just go ask your dad, your mom? We're trying to figure out all these answers to life. Why don't we just ask God? Seems pretty simple, right? See, what we need is a father to ask we need a father to listen to when he begins to show us the answer. So this commercial, it's just a commercial. Like I said, no spiritual content, but when I saw it, it just reminded me. Am I asking God to help me today? Let's go ahead and watch that commercial. Oh, donc là, être père, c'est un, un défi. Aujourd'hui, tout se passe sur, sur Internet. Son téléphone communique avec ses amis. Ils ont le monde à leurs fingertips. Do your kids come to you as much as you went to your dad? Um, no. All right, come on in. So first up, I'm going to have you look up a few things on the internet. How do I tie a tie? Como preguntar una chica cuando salir? Hey. Como es que How do I fry an egg? Ah. Bien. 
¿Cuál es tu color favorito? Now I'm gonna have you ask your dad. ¿Qué estás haciendo? ¿Qué? ¿Qué tú haces? Le mirarse los ojos. Faut que tu fasses deux fois le tour. Avec ça, ça sera plus simple. Ça va être perfecto, ¿no? Sí. It's pretty good. Tiene que tener presencia. No sé, Marie. Explicar lo que hay que hacer, ¿no? Voilà, premier rasage. So, which was better? The better teacher was my dad. Et mes papa. Était plus personnel sur les informations. Savait lo que yo no entiendo. Tus hijos son la cosa más importante del mundo. Je voudrais remercier mon papa. Et tu aimes? Tu m'aimes bien. Ça non? the last time you went to your heavenly father and asked him for help go ask dad go ask your heavenly father having a hard time making a decision choosing direction you're in need of something lacking the trust for God's instructions go ask dad have you asked your heavenly father or are you looking for help from another source? I want to encourage you parents to be bold in being great parents. Be involved in your kid's life. Kids, get involved in your parents' life. Ask them questions. Go to them. Learn from them. It's well worth it. Would you stand, please? <clears throat> We have an incredible Heavenly Father who loves us as we are. He's not going to say, you know what, I don't like my kids, I'm going to send them back. Instead, he says, I'm going to send my son. Because I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to show you who I am. So look at my son and see how he lived because he's also going to be a sacrifice for you. God gave his son as a sacrifice for us to die for us, and to live for us. So when we place our faith in him, we too can have that eternal life, but have a relationship with the God of this universe so we can go ask our Abba Father, our dad. Dad, I need help. Paul says this, and he says it so well. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Isn't that awesome? God says, when I look at you, I don't see fault because I've forgiven you. 
Because you asked me for forgiveness. I forgave you. And because I've forgiven you, I knew before time began, my love for you was going to be so deep, so wide. And I'm going to let you do something. I'm going to let you live on this earth for a short time, and then you come and spend the rest of it with me. But while you're on this earth, I'm giving you the ability and the power to live a holy life. Please do so. Because you've got little ones watching right behind you. Live a holy life. Ask God for that help to do that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. That you love us so much. And there's times when we don't feel loved because we mess up. can't imagine how... Abraham felt and Isaac felt and Jacob felt knowing that they were wanting to be godly men but in the midst of being a godly man they failed and then their children failed but you forgave you forgave those men God we're going to fail we're going to mess up and I know we don't want to mess up because we know our children are watching us God, I thank you, first of all, for forgiving us for when we too mess up. But God, we ask that you give us strength to live a holy and blameless life now. To help the children who are around us, whether they're our kids or the kids that we're with in junior church or the nursery or Tupas. Because we, as teachers, become like parents to these kids. So God, I pray that we as volunteers, teachers, youth leaders, nursery workers. I pray, God, that we are asking you for help to live a holy life, knowing that these kids look at us too. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for Father's Day. We can come and laugh and we can have some games and and really enjoy being a dad. God, we also pray that you just grab hold of our heart and say, because it's such an awesome privilege and a joy, I want to do it right. I want to do it the way you want it done. God, we thank you for this. Help us to stand strong. Help us to stand and live holy lives that honor you. Lord, so we sing to you now a proclamation. We continue to worship you in song and maybe in prayer if we need to just pray as we're singing. God, we give this to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.